You're listening to a podcast from the Trinity Longroom Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. My great pleasure to introduce today's speaker, who is Maria Zukovs, who is coming to us from St Andrews, where she's completing a PhD under the supervision of Andrew Pettigrew and Arthur De Wedderinerer um, on the Dublin Press and the French Revolution, and she. It has, I think, already addressed Irish audiences at the 18th Century Ireland Society earlier this year. She's been giving a number of papers on her thesis and a number more coming this year. She also has a 17th century Ireland background, having completed an MA at the University of Western Ontario with a thesis entitled Protest Through Poetry, Perceptions of English Settler Colonialism in 17th Century Ireland. So she has interests germane to a number of members of the, th- of the seminar and indeed an undergraduate degree in Celtic Studies at Toronto, where she comes from. So she's been moving steadily forward. I'm assuming a postdoc on the decade of revolutions is coming. <laughs> um, but anyways, um, student, um, Maria's title today is The Dublin Press and the French Revolution, Creating the Infrastructure of Communication. And I think there's possibly link-ups with the last paper in the seminar series here with Joel Herman two weeks ago. So it's quite nice sort of synergy there. So over to Maria. Thank you very much. Um, uh, thank you for the introduction, and uh, thank you very much for the opportunity um, that uh, for me to speak here. Um, and I do apologize that there is a slight title change from what this was originally called. So the full title is now The Dublin Press and the French Revolution, Creating the Infrastructure of Communication. So with that, I will get going. On the 20th of June, 1793, the Dublin Chronicle ran an advertisement for a new play being performed at the Royal Theatre. It was by an Irish playwright and poet named William Preston and entitled Democratic Rage or Louis the Unfortunate. The play, which depicted the death of Louis XVI, proved quite popular as there were several different editions of the text printed in Dublin, Cork and London, all in 1793. As Louis XVI's execution had only taken place on the 21st of January, 1793, this play was written, rehearsed, performed, and printed all within six months. Advertisements for these types of spectacles were not unusual in Dublin newspapers following the outbreak of the French Revolution in 1789. The ample news of events in France showed the keen interest Dubliners had for the French Revolution, which was reflected in the revolution effectively becoming a commodity. The close ties France and Ireland fostered over several centuries and the general interest in French culture among Dubliners led to two important developments once the revolution broke out. First, it allowed Dublin newsmen to source their own news. Second, it created a ready-made market for the numerous revolutionary products being sold, supplementing news about the events unfolding in France. This paper will explore the ways in which Dublin newspapers interacted with French news and culture once the French Revolution broke out, shaped by the existence of a pre-revolutionary relationship between France and Ireland. It will specifically explore how the infrastructure for the news culture was built rather than the news itself. To understand this better, this paper will look at the sourcing of French news along with the France-oriented consumer culture, 
the types of French and France-related goods being sold both before and after the outbreak of revolution. It will show that, like, uh, <clears throat> sorry, it will show that the Dublin press, just as Dublin the city, was engaged with the wider world in its own distinctive way. It will also challenge existing scholarship and demonstrate that Dublin was not as reliant on British news and mediation as has been suggested. This work is based upon research into five different newspapers representing a range of political leanings. It makes up part of my current PhD research on the impact of Dublin press coverage of the French Revolution on Dublin's society, culture, and politics between 1788 and 1794. More broadly, it looks at Franco-Irish relations in the 1790s from a new perspective, beyond lenses such as the relationship between revolutionary France and the society of united Irishmen. My thesis looks more comprehensively at the news than this paper and expands our knowledge of the Dublin newspaper industry in the late 18th century. Understanding the long-standing relationship between France and Ireland provides the key to understanding the set of circumstances that allowed for the influx of revolutionary fervor in 1789. The two countries began to develop this relationship more closely in the mid-17th century when the Duke of Ormond began to court Huguenots from France to settle in Ireland, following the revocation of the Edict of Nantes. Unlike their counterparts who settled in England, the Huguenots in Ireland, and more specifically Dublin, had an easier time integrating into the city economically. Many Huguenot families played important roles in the establishment of various industries like wine, silk, and sugar. Typically, the industries they engaged in, including banking, catered to the wealthy elites of the city. Huguenots were still visible parts of these industries by the end of the 18th century. With banking, for example, Wilson's Dublin Directory in 1788 listed David Latouche as the governor of the Bank of Ireland. The Latouche family had a long history with the Bank of Ireland. Another David Latouche, a Huguenot soldier who settled in Dublin following the Williamite Wars, helped establish the bank. Huguenots made a particularly important impact in the book industry, and there was a significant number of them, especially in publishing and bookselling. Huguenots were a key factor in creating a demand for French books in the Dublin market, which created a cyclical demand for further French books. By the end of the 18th century, it is evident from advertising that Huguenots were still a distinct community in Dublin. The de la Mazière family were ubiquitous. Andrew de la Mazière especially owned a tea warehouse, which had advertisements that ran in multiple newspapers. While he placed no advertisements, another member of the family, Andrew Jr., was listed as a sugar baker in Wilson's Dublin directory. Additionally, the Le Mestre name is frequently found, particularly Peter Le Mestre, a watchmaker. While French Protestants made their way into exile in Ireland, Irish Catholics made their way into exile on the continent, including in France. The 1630s and 40s in particular saw an influx of Irishmen joining the French military, with a further wave of soldiers fleeing into exile under Cromwell's regime. Other than soldiers, clerics also made their way to France in large numbers. France became an important center for training Irish priests. 
In theory, these individuals should have gone back to Ireland to serve the large Catholic population. However, many chose to remain in France. One such individual uh, was the confessor to Louis XVI at his execution, Abbe Edgeworth, who you can see right here. Um, he was a cleric born in County Longford, but trained as a priest in France. His Irish origins were noteworthy enough that they were mentioned in at least one report on the execution of Louis XVI in January 1793. Beyond these communities, France and Ireland had a strong economic connection, which was fueled in part by the affinity for French products Dubliners were eager to buy in the 18th century. There's ample evidence in the advertisements that trade, especially in wine, was taking place between France and Ireland. Huguenots were integral in the establishment of the wine trade. Newspapers, again, mainly through advertisements, reveal the extent of this trade with France. There are numerous advertisements for wine. The Hibernian Journal included several advertisements for imported wines that specifically mentioned French white wines. John Wilson put in an advertisement that prominently mentioned France. Similarly, the Dublin Chronicle featured an advertisement from Charles Carruthers, which mentioned that he has lately landed from Rouen, a choice parcel of Burgundy and Champagne of first growths. These advertisements provide plentiful evidence of direct trade between France and Ireland. This evidence was also to be found in the port news that was frequently printed in these newspapers, which provided detailed information on the ships coming and going from the port of Dublin. The Dublin Chronicle included mention of a vessel called the Lark, sailing for Bordeaux carrying merchant goods. The Hibernian Journal included mention of a ship bringing wine from Bordeaux to Dublin. In the next edition of that same paper, the port news included mention of more than one ship sailing to Bordeaux, carrying merchant goods. This is further reinforced by advertisements, uh, such as this one here for the Brig Dolly, a ship sailing for Bordeaux, which indicated who to contact to send cargo on the voyage. <clears throat> Bordeaux was a clearly important trading port for Dublin, as many of the ships included in the port news sailed between the two cities. In fact, there was a large Irish merchant community based in Bordeaux, along with a decent population of French merchants, many from Bordeaux, based in Dublin. Dubliners were also keen to obtain luxury goods, which spoke to the tastes of Dublin's elites, but also to what wealthy Dubliners thought was worth importing rather than buying locally. French culture and literature were welcomed by all members of society, regardless of social rank. It was ubiquitous, and literature in particular was seen as devoid of politics. The Hibernian Journal, among several other newspapers, ran an advertisement with the headline, Medicines from Paris. This was for a product called L'Allumette de l'Amour, which was a tincture that supposedly helped with impotence, among other things. It was, marked, sorry, it was marketed with direct ties to Louis XV, which is unsurprising considering the number of children he fathered. A different newspaper, the Dublin Evening Post, included several advertisements for another luxury product, perfume. In an edition from the 25th of March, 1788, there was an advertisement for a Parisian perfumery. 
In the next edition, on the 27th of March, there was another similar advertisement, again for a Parisian perfumery. This time, however, it specified that these products were imported from Bordeaux. Considering the ties Dublin and Bordeaux had, this was likely being imported directly to Ireland from France, bypassing England. Fashion was another major luxury import from France, which is evident from the number of instances of articles on the latest fashions from Paris, which brought detailed information on what was being worn in France's capital. This example from August 1789 provides information on both men's and women's fashions, with the women's fashions being far more detailed, including types of trimmings, accessories, and hairstyles. It appeared blue, white, and red were en vogue to varying degrees at this time. This is also reflected in some of the imported goods from France being advertised. The Dublin Evening Post, again among other newspapers, advertised for the importation of French and Italian stays and waistcoats. Rather than going to local tailors, wealthy Dubliners wished to display their wealth and status and enjoy the heights of fashion. The passion for France also impacted domestic trade. A man named John Merle, hoping to entice members of the nobility to buy his products, mentioned that he was a French cook in an advertisement. People were looking to engage with French culture in various forms. Beyond food, clothing, and goods, the most prominent way individuals engaged with French culture was through French language and literature. Learning French was part of a standard education for those who could afford to go to boarding schools. Almost every boarding school advertisement included French in the curriculum. One school even advertised itself as a ladies' French boarding school. Those who could afford a governess for their children similarly favored the ability to educate them in French, as is evidenced by this advertisement specifically looking for a, government, sorry, for a governess who could speak French. Another advertisement was from Mr. Byrne, a professor of French seeking to, uh, students for private tuition. This interest in learning French is further supported by the number of French grammar books available. This advertisement uh, for a book by a man named Mr. Porny mentions that he was the French master at Eton College. Marc-Antoine Porny, whose real name was Antoine Piron Dumartre, was, po was popular among the elites of Dublin though not many original copies of his books survive. Other grammar books are found um, on the market included this one here, Farrell's French Grammar. The level of French competence is further supported by the number of advertisements for books in French being sold in Dublin. Books were one of the more visible markets for French goods, and French books made up an important part of the economy. Luke White, a prominent Dublin bookseller, put in an advertisement for various books in French, including histories and travel books. One of the more interesting sets of books being sold are found in an advertisement in the Morning Post, which included French Catholic books. It also appeared there was a market for books by individuals, whether in the original French or in translation, who would have been features in news articles about France. For example, the Dublin Evening Post included an advertisement in January 1789 for several new publications, including one by Jacques Necker, the French finance minister before the revolution. 
In addition to books in French, Antoine Gurna, one of the most prominent foreign book importers of the era, opened a French language reading room. To advertise this reading room, Gurna put out an advertisement in French addressed to la noblesse et le public, inviting them to visit where they may be able to engage with the latest foreign news. The fact that such a reading room existed and that it was advertised in French indicated that there was a large enough population of people who spoke and read French in Dublin to make it profitable. As will be discussed at a later point, Dublin welcomed many new French people during the revolution. Gurna opened his reading room in 1790, shortly after the abolition of the nobility in France. When the revolution broke out in 1789, there was an explosion of interest in French events. <coughs> Dubliners eagerly followed along on the latest news. Dublin newsmen sourced their news from a variety of places, including direct from individuals in Dublin. This insight goes against much of the scholarship on the history of Irish newspapers, which has claimed that they largely copied their foreign news from London papers. This was true for a large portion of the news, but was not the only source. The ways news reached Dublin is not always obvious in the newspapers, but it is possible to retrace the most common route. Most news, whether it was intended to be first read in Dublin or not, passed through Britain. News which originated in Paris made its way to Calais. From there, it would go to Dover and then to London. From London, it would make its way to one of three ports, Hollyhead, Parkgate, or Liverpool. From these ports, the news made its way via packet boat to Dublin. Packet boats were an integral part of this system. They brought mail and news along with passengers from Britain to Ireland. These were so, so important, especially in the early days of the Irish newspaper, that bad weather meant no news of Britain or the continent could reach Ireland. A typical packet boat could take up to 20 hours to travel between Britain and Ireland, but bad weather could delay this further. Both Wilson's Dublin Directory and the Port News and Newspapers provided further information on these packet boats. The directory provided the names of the boats and to which of the three British ports they were registered. There is no standard amount of time news took to reach Dublin, though there is some indication that important news could be rushed to some degree. In one instance, an edition of the Hibernian Journal from 1792 mentioned that in order to receive French news as quickly as possible, the fastest boats were being used between Calais and Dover. Looking at a specific event, it is evident important French news was rushed. The dismissal of Jacques Necker, France's finance minister, was a wildly unpopular move on part of Louis XVI, which sparked the outbreak of violence in Paris and the storming of several prisons, including the Bastille. One report printed in the Dublin Evening Post about these events provided insight into how quickly news could reach Dublin. Based on the information in the article and the best estimates of when news likely reached Dublin, it probably took about four and a half to six and a half days total after leaving Paris. The article mentions that this news was sent from Paris to London via a special messenger that only took 36 hours. 
Based on the specific information in the article, the letter likely reached London on the 16th of July, 1789. From there, it was sent to Dublin, where it was published on the 21st of July, 1789. Dublin's connections to France meant that news did not always have to take this route. While there is evidence that French news intended for a Dublin audience successfully passed through Britain on its way to Dublin, there was likely a regular Bordeaux packet servicing a route between Dublin and Bordeaux. A June 1791 edition of the Morning Post mentioned a Bordeaux packet which brought letters from France to Dublin. It further mentioned that it also had passengers who brought news from France with them. Much of the news arriving via the Bordeaux packet was focused on agriculture, but demonstrated the means for news to arrive in Dublin utilizing the pre-existing shipping routes between France and Ireland. There are several more examples of this, including a letter about difficulty selling Irish potatoes in Bordeaux, which, specifically, sorry, which specified that it came directly from Bordeaux to Dublin. Another letter, which also specified that it came directly from Bordeaux and mentioned the packet, discussed wheat in Guienne and Languedoc. The Irish diaspora in France provided an additional source of news that was independent of England. Prior to the revolution, while issues of religious toleration were being debated in France in early 1788, an Irish soldier in the service of the French army, Chevalier Darcy, sent a letter back to Ireland providing information on these issues. Two newspapers, the, uh, the Hibernian Journal and the Dublin Evening Post, included information from this letter. Though this instance of a named source providing direct information is rare, there are far more anonymous individuals providing information. An edition of the Morning Post included a letter from an Irish merchant in French Flanders, which detailed the success of a French merchant he encountered. Another example from the Hibernian Journal was printed in 1792, as the source was listed as a letter from Aix-la-Chapelle to a gentleman of this city. These instances show that Dubliners had connections to France, which were then utilized by newspapers. It is also evident from these connections that certain news was designated for an Irish audience. For example, a letter from Bordeaux sent to Dublin providing an account of what was happening in Bordeaux at the time due to bad weather and food shortages, and how there were frequent riots about these issues. It specifically mentioned that the Irish merchants there were doing better than the French merchants. As the revolution progressed and became more violent, more and more people fled France and sought refuge on foreign shores. Considering Dublin already had a history of welcoming French people fleeing persecution and that there was still a distinguishable French community in Dublin by the 1790s, it is unsurprising that Dublin was one of the many places chosen. The shipping routes between the two countries would have also made it easy for émigrés to make their way to Dublin from France directly. These individuals in turn acted as sources of news. The Dublin Chronicle reported in June 1791 that there was rumor of counter-revolutionary sentiment taking hold in France. This information came from a Frenchman who had arrived in Dublin the previous week. 
In the same edition, there was further news that large numbers of individuals, especially clergy, were arriving in Dublin from France. Later that same year, the Dublin Chronicle once again had a report based on information presented by an émigré. It mentioned that a French gentleman now in the city received a letter from his brother, a captain in the National Guard, who was reporting that there were rumours of a possible invasion from the former princes of the blood who were in exile outside of France. Other newspapers as well published similarly sourced material. The Hibernian Journal in January 1793 published an article with information sourced directly from an individual who had just arrived in Dublin from Paris. They brought news that there was potential famine along with the high prices of bread and meat. It is clear that a French community not only still existed in Dublin by the 1790s, but that Dublin was seen as a place to which French people might flee as the revolution grew more violent. The fact that Antoine Gurna opened his French language reading room and that the advertisement prominently featured the detail that they had foreign news further supports this idea as there was a strong, that there was a strong community of French people. It is easy to imagine these émigrés or Huguenots who still had family members or friends in France would have been keen to know <clears throat> what was happening in their homeland and whether it may be safe to return. Beyond the close relationship that existed between the two countries that, that allowed for direct news to pass to Ireland, the intense interest in France and French culture led to an opportunity in the market that many people took advantage of. The amount of French revolutionary news available for readers indicates that it was a particularly popular topic. In addition to the news, people were able to buy a whole host of other products and engage with French culture in a similar way they had pre-revolution, just with a revolutionary twist to it. There were even luxury products and services still coming over from France. For example, in January 1793, the Hibernian Journal ran an advertisement for a clockmaker who had just come over from Paris. That same edition included another advertisement for a French hairdresser. The fact that both individuals um, in these advertisements included that they were French rather prominently suggested that on some level, things tied directly to France were popular, possibly for the new market of French émigrés. Some of the same luxury goods were still popular as well, the Morning Post in 1792 included a perfume advertisement with perfumes direct from Paris. Trade was clearly still happening throughout this period. In June 1791, the Morning Post ran an advertisement for a sauce from France, which further reinforces this point. Wine was also still coming in, as numerous wine advertisements uh, were to be found following the outbreak of revolution. There is a limit to this, however. Once Britain joined the war against France following Louis XVI's execution, some products were harder to come by, wine being one of them. One advertisement uh, for the Bordeaux warehouse provided some il illumination on how Dubliners could still have their French wines. It mentioned that the owner, John Short, had a large stock of choice old red port, vintage 1788 which was purchased prior to the revolution breaking out. It went on to state that they had a large stock of French wines ready to be sold. These stores, for some at least, were limited, 
and eventually some cellars appeared to run out. John Wilson, a wine cellar in Dublin, had previously included mentions of France in many of his advertisements. However, by November 1793, those references were gone. Beyond trade and the continued interest in luxury goods, other products directly tied to the French Revolution became available. Many of them had connections to well-known or famous individuals. For example, the Hibernian Journal included an advertisement for a magazine which featured a profile on the Marquis de Lafayette. Similarly, shortly after the revolution broke out, the Dublin Evening Post included a similar advertisement for a magazine with a profile of the Duc d'Orléans. Both of these individuals, especially the Duke, were being portrayed prominently in news reports coming from France. There was even one advertisement in the Dublin Chronicle that mentioned a book used to educate the Duc d'Orléans' children. Education in French was evidently still popular. Books and other prints about these individuals were also popular. There is at least one book about the Duc d'Orléans in 1791. There are multiple books on Necker that are featured in advertisements, especially towards the beginning of the revolution in 1789. Another advertisement included a book about the National Assembly written by the Comte de Mirabeau, another prominent revolutionary figure. These indicated that people were interested in learning more about the revolution beyond just the news, that there was a vested interest in what was happening in France. There was at least one instance of a book of anecdotes of events in the revolution being published and then sold in Dublin. Similarly, there are numerous advertisements for books and other print on specific events. Following the flight of the royal family in June 1791, an event that had extensive coverage in the Dublin press. <clears throat> a political caricature about these events was being advertised in at least one newspaper towards the end of July. As the events being portrayed only happened a month prior, this was a quick turnaround for print to be published and advertised. A similar example of this comes following the Queen's execution in October 1793. A month after this event took place, a book about the execution was advertised. This new demand for books on the revolution was not limited to factual accounts of events and included some more salacious material. More than one newspaper advertised editions of the Comtesse de la Motte's memoir. This was a scandalous account of the affair of the diamond necklace, which involved the queen Marie Antoinette. This was an event Jeanne de la Motte was likely behind. Another newspaper included a book supposedly by Madame Genali, a woman who may have had links to both the Duc d'Orléans and the wife of Lord Edward Fitzgerald, who is rumored to be the illegitimate daughter of the Duke. These types of products being sold to Dubliners hint at some of the more lurid advertisements for goods related to the French Revolution. In one of the same newspapers that featured the Comtesse de la Motte's memoir, there was another advertisement for a wax figure display. This display featured the royal family, but also the Comtesse de la Motte herself, and made explicit mention of the affair of the diamond necklace. Similarly, only a few months after his execution, the Hibernian Journal ran an advertisement for an exhibit that was being put on about Louis XVI. Some new publications appeared to be more politically motivated. 
Edmund Burke's views in particular proved to be quite popular. Various editions of his Reflections on the Revolution in France were published and sold in Dublin and are pre present in advertisements. An edition of one newspaper had up to six different advertisements of different editions of Burke's works in a single issue. Other advertisements reveal that certain Enlightenment thinkers were becoming popular again. One newspaper mentions Jean-Jacques Rousseau, while another has an advertisement for some works by Voltaire. Not only those who were able to read could engage with this new type of content. Long before the play giving an account of Louis XVI's execution, there were other plays depicting events in the revolution. For example, only a few months after the storming of the Bastille took place, the Dublin Chronicle advertised for a play about those events. It was entitled Gallic Freedom or the Destruction of the Bastille and depicted the events that happened in Paris, including the demolition of the Bastille, an event that did not actually take place when the prison was stormed. So I'm now gonna go into just a few conclusions to wrap up. The French Revolution shows us that Dublin was an engaged metropolitan European capital. Dublin experienced a floodgate of new opportunities and products that, that was fueled by the pre-existing connections and interest in France. The existing ties that the French community in Dublin and the Irish community in France had allowed for sources of news to be more direct in making their way to Dublin. The trade routes that existed allowed for news to pass independently between France and Ireland, allowing Dublin newsmen to source and print news without being reliant on London newspapers. It shows that Dublin, like London or Paris, was a city engaged and connected with the rest of the world. This was undoubtedly important for an Irish public that had only gained some level of parliamentary independence in the preceding decade. Moreover, the fact that there were so many ties between the two countries and that Dublin had once before been a refuge for exiled French people meant that Dublin once again was able to welcome émigrés fleeing their country, adding another source of news. In addition to this, the pre-existing interest in French culture, language, and literature created a ready-made market for French revolutionary products. People were clearly eager to engage with what was happening abroad through the news, and the explosion of news stands as a testament to this interest. The sheer volume of items, especially books, shows that there was an interest in all aspects of the revolution, from important political figures, to salacious gossip, to morbid spectacles of death and destruction. Dubliners were eager to consume their new favorite product, the French Revolution. Thank you very much.